Good morning. Our scripture reading from today comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. This is God's word. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Good morning. My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson and typically do the bulk of the preaching. And I um, want to give you all a, a heads up. If you're new, again, just want to say welcome. And, and we're so glad that, that you're here. And, um, and also want to let you know that I have a stutter and it'll kind of come in and out as I, as I preach. And so I want to make sure that you know what that, what that is. Um, as we're going along. Let's go ahead and pray as we get into um, this new, new series together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are good. Um, thank you that you are so good, that you are love, that you embody love so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to um, restore us as your image bearers, to, to, to uh, make us new, to forgive us, to, to take us from death into life, um, or to give us meaning and purpose and identity and, and, and ultimate value and worth because we are yours. And, and so we, we pray that through this season of Lent and, and then especially as we kick it off now this morning, we pray that by your spirit, you will engage our hearts or you will soften them. You will open our ears and our eyes to hear and understand and respond to the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. All right, as we kick off a new series together, um, while we'll be in, um, in 1 John 4, as I said, um, let me set up the whole series. So we're doing a seven-week series that will end, um, based, again, on Palm Sunday. So we'll, we'll kick off um, the week after Easter. We'll be in a new series. We'll be in John for the foreseeable future. You don't even need to look past that for a long time. But for these seven weeks, we're entering into this series, Countercultural Convictions. Why are we doing this? Because we want to be edgy and countercultural and different. No, um, because we want to be the one church that's getting it right. No. Okay, we don't want to set ourselves apart and think we have it all figured out. But because Scripture calls us to be intentional. God calls us that if we are His and if we are to live as His people, what is referred to as citizens of His kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and not the kingdom or kingdoms of this earth, which were so prone to whatever direction you might lean, left, right, wherever, up, down, whatever else it might be, we are so prone to wander, and He warns us. In fact, look at this Scripture, which is kind of an overarching Scripture, for this whole series from Romans chapter 12. It says this, the author Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Insert there this idea of all of life is all for Jesus. Okay, your bodies, not just your minds, we're not disembodied. All things, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Holy, that means set apart and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Again, worship is not just here. All of life, okay, we're engaging in worship. And then this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now hear me, okay, because this is important, and we'll come back to this week in and week out. Do not be conformed to, to this world, all right? We, the church, uh, historically, and even if you think of evangelical Christians, um, tend to think, well, that means the world out there, that means something I disagree with, whatever it might be, I'll call that the world, academia, or again, a particular political party, or a particular way of dressing, or doing or not doing certain things, and we say, oh, that's the world, and don't recognize that the world is anything that is contrary to um, in the, the kingdom of God. To, to, the, to who and what Jesus proclaims to be um, flowing from his character, from who he is and what he came to do. And, 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 and it's not so simple as, oh, that out there, that's the world. And this, okay, the imagery that is sometimes used is fish swimming in water, right? Can't define the water. And that outside of God's intervention, we are so affected and infected by sin that the world is any kind of Tendency, thought process, language, interaction, worldview. Again, that is not Christ. Okay, that is antichrist. And he says, be intentional that you not be conformed to this world. And then there's, here's a series, and I'm going to read a lot of statements, okay, throughout this next seven weeks and a lot of scripture, while each week we're going to hunker down in one particular passage, so you see we're not just kind of, you know, cherry-picking v- v- verses from all over to make our thing. We're going to look at one particular passage, but it's also we're going to step back and look at the breadth of scripture. So be ready, okay, we're going to be saying a lot of statements, a lot of r- r- reading scripture. Here's a statement for this whole series. As followers of Jesus at Redemption Church, so all of Redemption Church, not just here at Tucson, we're walking through this, we hold convictions and beliefs that run against the grain of culture. In this series, we'll explore seven of these convictions and the love that shapes both what we believe and how we hold these convictions. So let me say again before I explain which different convictions we'll be walking through, it's not all of them. Okay, we have lots of convictions. We believe that that there's an infinite number, okay? As you read through scripture and as you understand who God is and who we are as his people, we could cover a ton of things. But these are particularly things that we are vulnerable to forgetting or wandering from, or in this cultural moment, in this time in our, in our world, and in our particular cultural context, we, we could be prone or, or susceptible or, again, vulnerable to, to either, either blending in too much or, or, or misunderstanding, okay, or distorting. So these are the seven convictions we'll be walking through. Love, that's where we're starting today. Jesus, the Bible, gender, sex, salvation, and the vulnerable. 
These are, again, seven things that we um, want to be clear on because we believe that it would be unloving to be unclear. Okay, and again, um, we trust that, that we are prone to think, oh, this is what it means, or we to make up our own definitions or things like that. So as you look at those seven things, we want to be clear. As Redemption Church, this is what we mean by these things, and this is what we believe the Scripture teaches, and this is what God calls his people to live out of, and this is how he calls his people to live in light of these things. Okay, so that's where we're headed, and Stephen Collins, one of our pastors, made a joke this morning. He said, we're kicking off this series in love, perhaps most countercultural of all. All right? And now, um, as we switch into this, let me set up this morning where we are today while we're talking about love. Each of these um, different convictions that we're going to walk through, we're going to come back to love. Okay? We, we believe that love absolutely overshadows and umbrellas every one of these things. You're like, wait, um, when the church talks about sex or gender, it's usually love doesn't come to mind for me, right? That might, and, and we say, no, it has to flow out of love. And so this morning, that's where we're going to set, set ourselves up and, and kick off this whole time is understanding love. Now, okay, look, Look at me, because I, I think we all fit into one of two primary broad categories in this room, and it's this. Oh, cool, love. I, I know what love means. And then insert whatever definition you think of for love. Okay, and it's usually, hear me, it's usually self-serving in whatever way it is. Oh, this is love. This is what I think of love. It's this, it's that. And, and we will, and it's no. Okay, we need to submit our definitions and understandings and paradigms of love to what God says love is. Okay, sometimes love is hard. It's difficult to hear. We'll, we'll walk through some of those things. On the flip side, now hear me, Kay, because I want to make sure we all hear this as well. Others think, oh, I knew it. This church is going wishy-washy. It's getting soft on me. What does love have to do with anything, right? What does love have to do with talking about theology and, and clear doctrinal conviction? Don't get love out of there, right? We should be starting with truth, with hammer f fisting, metaphorically, to, um, you know, to, to, to what we're going to do. We're going to pound truth over people, and we say, no, it's absolutely central and pertinent that, that we understand that love is, is central. Okay, so let me read the big overarching, again, definition or kind of description of love before I set up where we're specifically going here this morning. This is, again, across all of redemption, what we're saying with love is this. In a world where love is overly about individual desire, sex, convenience, or feelings, we believe that Christian love is the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another without demanding repayment or that the person is deserving Okay, and that, that, that last part that begins with Christian love is, that, that whole last part is um, taken from um, author um, Paul Tripp, and, and he wrote up, a, a, again, a description or an explanation, and so that's where we got that last part. Um, but again, look at that, understand, it's not these other things, it's not self-surfing, but it is the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another without demanding repayment or that the person is deserving. Okay, this is where we're going this morning as we look at 1 John chapter 4, as I transition into that. You can go ahead and switch to the, the theme slide there. Is this, God is love. Jesus is God. Love one another. 
Okay, and if you want that in a sentence, it's this again. God is love, and Jesus is God. So if you belong to Jesus, you will live a life of love. Okay, that's where we're going to be this morning. So let's just go ahead again, turn with me to 1 John. It's toward the back of your Bible. It's um, one of the last before you get to the very last book of Revelation. And as you can always look at the table of contents if you struggle finding a particular place in the Bible. Okay, 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. Okay, tell me more about God. Well, he's this and that, and I like to think this. If, if love isn't in that definition, then it's unbiblical. Okay, and when this says God is love, this is, um, if you are familiar with philosophy, this is talking about, the God, about ontologically. In his essence, in his very being, God is love. Okay, in the same way that, that, that you and I are made up of certain things and you can't define yourself without recognizing those things, who God is, God is not created, in his essence, in his being, God is love. Love is the very nature of God. Okay, so again, if we're prone to think, oh, well, love's out there, that's wishy-washy, that's soft, that's this or that. No, God is love. And then so back in verse 7, when he says, let us love one another, for love is from God, okay, it's because love flows from God, okay? It's not just God sitting there, not again, okay, think of it, think of it like this, all right? And I'm not a scientist, but in every analogy always falls short, so I'm going to say that. But, but as I've, I've heard it explained like this, if you think of, if you try to describe heat and fire and you separated um, heat from the fire, right? You, it would be really hard to do that. Again, think even more, even that falls short. But, but it, it's, it's in the same way that heat flows from fire because fire is heat. Okay, L love flows from God. Love is from God because God is love. Okay, now, are you hanging with me? Okay, bring your thinking caps every week because it's going to be like this. I almost just made a mistake, which was a great illustration. I just threw myself a s s softball. I almost said, because love is God. No, right? You should wait, wag your finger at me if I were, was, you know, to say that. Because I also want us to recognize that's a tendency that we have again in the culture of our day. Oh, love is God. And then we go back to defining love however we want to, whatever we think love is. Well, love is God, as long as you're loving and then again, so what, we, what that usually means almost every time is as long as you agree with all the things that I value most, the stuff I don't care about that much, you can not agree with. But, you know, as long as we agree on the most essentials, hey, I can love you and you can love me and we'll be a happy family, right, Arnie? Um, but no, and then, and, we, and then we think, oh, well, that is God. Whatever that our definition of love is, no, we have to start with God, and God is love. Not love is God. God is love, and love is from God. And because God is love, 
we can only know love, truly, hear me, by knowing Jesus. Okay, true love. Okay, you want to define love. Well, love is this. I think love is that. Outside of Jesus, it will be an incomplete understanding of love. Okay, so now pick up with me in verse 9. God is love. Jesus is God. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Outside of God sending his son into a broken, evil, distorted um, enemy of God, hating God, hating each other, ultimately, a a selfish, self-centered world, outside of God's intervention, love is distorted, incomplete, ultimately selfish, and therefore ultimately non-existent. Okay, so outside of God, so what is love, you ask? Good question. This is love, that God, um, uh, that the love of God was made manifest, that took on flesh, came in among us, dwelt among us in grace and truth, right? In the Christmas season, we sing songs, we should do it more often, where we sing about Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. God is love, Jesus is God. We understand God and we understand love in the fact that, that he um, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Apart from him, there is no life. And then in verse 10, well, how was this accomplished? This love, in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. All right, we'll get to this in a few weeks, but I want us to understand again, God is always is the initiator. It it has to be. We we don't love God outside of him first loving us. So it's that God loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. All right, cool. Got it? Well, what's love? Define it. Propitiation. All right, let's move on. No, right? We need to understand what is that word, propitiation. These, these ideas, these words of propitiation and expiation um, go together, and it's this understanding of what is referred to as the great exchange. Okay, it is Jesus taking on the wrath that we deserve for our sins. And you might think of, well, how could, how could, why does wrath, why is that even needed? Why is that deserved? And I actually just read something this morning and just think of any time you've been wronged and you've wanted justice for it, and it might not be violent, though usually if you were violently wronged, you want to violently repay that. It's usually more in kind. And, um, but what, if you want to repay, if you want justice, well, because God is just, he demands justice. Because God is love, he demands everything that is wrong, that is not love, to be accounted for, to be dealt with, to be reconciled in some way. And what he did for those who would be his children, he diverted his wrath and poured it out on his only son. That is love. At 100% cost to himself, he poured out his wrath. It is this idea of God's wrath being placated. I'm glad we have the cross up here on the stage. Okay, being placated by Jesus. 
that Jesus endured, absorbed the, the justice, the judgment that you and I deserve, that the entire world deserves, was poured out on his son, his only son, right, who is love, who is God manifest among us. He poured out that love. He diverted the wrath from you and me, and he poured it out on his only son, so much so that Jesus would call out to his father, why have you forsaken me? So that through faith in him, hear me now, you can be called a child of God. And that when Jesus was raised from the dead and fully restored in relationship to God the Father, by faith in Jesus, you can have the wrath of God diverted from you, but not just that. It's not like God's like, fine, there, get out of my face. I, I, I forgive you, it's diverted. No, but he also pours out his love, his acceptance, his grace, his undeserved favor. God is love. Jesus is is God in his person and how he related with others. Okay, we, we, we walked through a, a series of, I forget even when it was, sometime last year, Love Walked among, among Us, where we understand, again, God is love. Why would we talk about love so much? Well, because God is love. Well, how do we know love? Well, because God is manifest himself in, in Jesus, his love. And so how do we understand love? We look at the person of Jesus. The, 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 the mannerisms, the, the eye contact, the touch with those who didn't deserve it, we see that all throughout the life and ultimately the death and then the resurrection of Jesus. We see love. God is love. Jesus is God. And he calls us to love one another. So now let's pick up in verse Eleven, And this is where we'll spend kind of the bulk of our time because this is where it gets really, really practical. But hear me, because some of us are like, oh good, I love the practical, I want the practical. Now, hear me, if you don't understand what came before it, if you don't understand the, the, the foundation, the engine, if you will, that, that defines the practical, then you're going to get the practical wrong. <laughs> All right? And yes, that's because I tend to not really like the practical and just like to camp out in the ethereal and the theological and the, and the truth. But... Outside of that, the practical doesn't make sense. If you just have the practical outside of that, then that doesn't make sense, right? They're, they need one another. So if you understand, hear me, right? This, hopefully I'm saying this over and over so it gets drilled into our heads. God is love. Jesus is God. And Jesus calls us to live a life of love. He invites us into, he wins for us into living a life of love. So now pick up with me in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Okay, let me go back to there in verse 11. You can circle or, un or underline that word ought, okay, because I think we get this really wrong, all right? Ought. Well, I ought to do this. I should do this. I should do that. I should try harder. I should be more loving. I should do this. And, and, and okay, hear me now, because I, I know I'm getting a little bit antsy and excited, but, but I, I, it's, it, if you remember back to, if you've ever been a part of a baptism service here, we talk about identity. We talk about, again, being. 
Through faith in Jesus, someone is baptized. If you've never been baptized, I encourage you, write it on a Connect card, send it in to us. As a believer, since you've put your faith in Christ, if you haven't been, been baptized, write that down and put your name and your contact info. We want to talk to you because it's important. It's important for you. It's important for all of us because what happens in a baptism service is we remember identity. We remember being. We remember that through faith in Jesus, you go from death to life. And so this language of ought means, no, you are living like a dead person, but because you are alive, you ought to live like a living person. Okay, and it's this, okay, I'm tempted towards sin. Fill in the blank. It could be any number of them. I'm tempted towards sin. And by the Holy Spirit, we'll get to him in a minute, by the Holy Spirit who indwells us, if you put your faith in Jesus, you now abide with Christ, the Holy Spirit, through his word, first and foremost, and through the community he's given, convict. Oh, this sin is as though I were dead, as though I were enslaved. Oh yeah, I remember my back baptistic identity. I remember that I went under the water, symbolizing death, but I didn't stay there. Okay, that's good news. If you've ever not been baptized because you think you're going to stay there, you don't. All right? Oh, I, I came out of the water. I am born again to new life through faith in Jesus. Because Jesus rose from the dead, because he gave me his life, I am now no longer dead, but alive. And that's how we fight sin. Through conviction, we remember our identity. So when, come back to this, the practical, the application, you ought to do this. You ought not slap your brother. You ought not look at pornography. You ought not steal money and cheat on your taxes. You ought not fill in the blank. Well, ought is directly connected to being. Okay, look at this quote from um, John Piper. He, he explains it this way, and I thought it was helpful says when he, this is meaning in this passage, when he says we ought to love each other, he means ought the way fish ought to swim in water and birds ought to fly in the air and living creatures ought to breathe and peaches ought to be sweet. That's actually, truth be told, that's why I ultimately decided to keep this quote is because I picture John Piper in his like southern accent, kind of, kind of twangy southern accent saying, and peaches ought to be sweet. And you kind of picture it there. Um, we have some folks from Arkansas and other places. You're welcome. Okay, but, right, peaches ought to be sweet and lemons ought to be sour and hyenas ought to laugh and born again people ought to love. It's who we are. It's not mere imitation. It's not, oh, I have a WWJD bracelet or I have a rubber band around my wrist and whenever I'm tempted to do naughty things, I flick myself with the rubber band or I look at the, I look at the, at the bracelet and remember, oh yeah, what would Jesus do? Oh yeah, well, I'll just try to be more. It's not mere imitation, it's essence, it's being, it's born again, it's a reminder that you are born again. Okay, and hopefully that, that, that imagery, the one again that sticks out to me is peaches ought to be sweet. This moment right now I'm entering into is not sweet. It's not the way it should be, as David Palisuelo said earlier. So I'm sure you're, you're, you're wondering, what does this look like? Right, what, okay, what does it look like? What is, again, for the most practical, but probably all of us, what does this actually look like? 
Well, it means, as I mentioned earlier, depending on the Holy Spirit. Look lastly with me at verse 13 here. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Okay, it's, it's important that we understand this idea of the Holy Spirit that if you have put your faith in Jesus, it's no longer pull yourself up by your bootstraps, grit your teeth, white knuckle it. No, but the very, the very power that you need to live a life of obedience, to live a life of love, He's given you. You are now indwelt with God, the Holy Spirit. To abide in Christ, to be one with him because of what he's done for you means now his very spirit, the very spirit, Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Spirit has been sent by the Son to indwell all of those who have put their faith in Christ, who are called Christians, who are in Christ. So this power does not come from your own effort, but by the very God who has given his life for you. So very practically, what does this love look like? Looks like three things. It looks like a whole bunch of things, but I've narrowed it down to three to help, it, help us remember it. Love is practical. It's practical. It's earthed. It's embodied. And I don't have these up here, so you can just jot down the address and go back and look at it with me. But I, for each of these three, I have a verse for us to understand. From, from chapter 3 of First John, in verse 16, it says this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Hopefully ought now makes more sense, right? But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart. That's a language we, this is a parenting verse, or a, you can use, we talk about hardening our hearts, all right? And you see it happen, and then it's like a mirror looking right back at you. Oh, I see myself closing my own, I see my heart hardening when you see it in your own kids. It's a um, little bit convicting, right? Closing your heart. He says, if anyone sees a brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is practical. And then connected to it, love is active. James chapter 1, and some of you will know verse 27 from this and some of these others, but I, I'm, let's read a few verses. James chapter 1, the whole chapter is great, so I would love to go through the whole thing right now, but I'll just read a few of them. Verse 22 and 23, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. And then it goes on, explains, and walks away and then forgets what he looks like. Okay, if you or I say we're followers of Jesus, we say that God's, we say we understand the gospel. Okay, I know we're about this here. Hear me, if you say you're gospel-centered, and yet your life is, does not reflect or actively represent love and generosity and practical giving, practical love, then it says then, then you don't understand love at all. And then it says, no, this is what true religion looks like. Verse 27, true, true religion is this. It's pure and undefiled before God the Father. 
It's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And just hear me in the very last sermon of the whole seven, the last of the sermon series, we'll hit on that a ton, all right, as we talk about the vulnerable and God's heart for the most vulnerable. Okay, but you see that. It doesn't just in, exist in word. Words are cheap if they're not connected to active love. And then lastly here, love is corrective. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And again, church, I want to set us up here because I think some of us are going to not feel loved in some of the coming weeks. And I think we all will. It'll just probably be different weeks from one another. But certain subjects we'll hit on will be like, that doesn't feel loving. Okay, all of us have areas that need to be refined and informed and transformed by God's word. And it feels not loving just because it isn't nice or comfortable. Okay, but again, love is practical. Love is active. Love is corrective. And then, as before I close, I want to share a story with me that love is embodied. Love is earthed. Okay, it's real. And, and um, I, I had a conversation with someone here in our church who it was so helpful. I felt honored and privileged as I talked through this um, with her. A woman in our church, some of you know, Shirley Gator, and she shared with me it was okay to share some of her 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 story and has shared it in other contexts and perhaps will more at some point. But um, Shirley lost her husband, Steve, who also was here um, a, a lot at our church. And they had just moved here to Tucson and were going to be full-time residents here and live here. And Shirley is. And they moved here with a vision together to, to live this life, you know, together um, here. And it was a great couple, encouraging, always helpful, but I didn't know more of the story there. Well, they were married close to 45 years, and um, right before their 25th wedding anniversary, Steve, who was a medical doctor, and Shirley was trained as a nurse, and they had traveled the world as in missionary medicine, and as a doctor, Steve um, had delivered life and was an advocate for life, and in in, in many things that um, they were they were loving God and loving their neighbors. We heard about in the All of Life interview this morning, practically in really clear and beautiful ways, and. Um, Steve had, I won't give all the, all the details, but Steve had um, a, a brain trauma through a surgery that basically was similar to the effects of a, of a stroke. And the result is that Steve had to, you know, close down the practice or no longer be able to, to do that. And then many other, you know, basic functions of life were now changed. And Shirley would be, and I, and I promised her I would say this, that she's not the hero of the story, though I want to make her so, and others probably will too. But um, you know, Steve was an incredibly lovable guy and was very encouraging, and I, I just remember shaking hands with him often, and it was um, he's just such an encouraging man, and I wish I could have known him and looked forward to the day that's to come when Jesus does restore all things, and I'll get to interact with and, and know Steve before this um, trauma, what he was like before this trauma. But for the last 19 years, all of Shirley's expectations and understandings of love 
had to change. She went from, right, um, life, you know, partner, husband and wife, spouse, what we probably think of when we envision spouse. I get to officiate a lot of weddings. If you're sitting next to a spouse right now, like hold hand, like imagine this, right? The vows that you communicate to one another, right, in sickness and in health, that becomes a lot more real when something like that happens to your husband. And, and surely use the, the language of, go, of becoming a caretaker, a caregiver. And then over time and growth and through a lot of her effort, that became more of a companion. And even we got to talk about the beauty of the significance of a brother and sister in Christ. I love that when husband and wife can also understand we're also brother and sister. Like that, that's a beautiful image that I think we don't press into enough. And again, it surely shared more of her story of the last 19 years of going from this relationship and what it looked like to be husband and wife together to then this after this brain trauma that Steve endured and walked through. That, that she, love took on a new meaning. Okay, let, let, can you put that, that, that quote up there again by Paul Tripp? There's not much room for that. What do you do when, when love is actually not self-sacrifice, but self-drivenness, self-fulfillment? It's going to be really hard. What do you do when um, the good of another is not central to your understanding of love? Well, what do you do when you expect payback and that's no longer possible? What, what do you do when in the moment you don't feel like the person is deserving. But again, as I, I promised surely I wouldn't, I want to tie it all into us here together. The hero of the story is Jesus. Because we're made in God's image, yes, I do think that somehow in God's grace, people who aren't believers, I was thinking about though the no notebook, some of you might know that story, that movie, and you've seen it, like, oh, well, how was there? Okay, that's a movie. It's Hollywood. It's actually, if you really press into it, it it's also has adultery and selfishness all over it. So, right? But we believe, oh, that could happen. It's beautiful. I think I would do that. Well, I don't know. As I, again, have more of an earth reality, talking to a sister in Christ, surely, hearing this beautiful story, and it came up time and time again because she was so grounded, because, and, and, and scripture just flows out of her mouth. She shared some, some passages with me that I can share with my son and just some encouragement there. Because she's so grounded in scripture, because this counter-cultural understanding of love, that God is love and Jesus is God and love that is lived out in life is only possible by truly understanding the initiating love of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, by being anchored, grounded, encouraged in that love, she was able to love her husband so well. They were able to, on their last day, understand that all the vows, by God's grace, that they exchanged to one another almost 45 years before, she was true to. They both were true to. That's love. What does it look like for you and I to love in that way? What does it look like to have our definition of love so shaped by Jesus that a life of love is lived in response to him? So now, churches, before we, we pray together, I just want to ask, what would it look like for you to understand love by first understanding how has God loved you? 
How does he still love you? Not just by saving you, but how does he deal with you when you're wrong? How does he deal with you when you don't deserve to be loved? How does he deal with you when you've sinned against him? His love is patient, kind, long-suffering, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails when it is grounded in the person and work of Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Lord, as we said at the beginning, we need love to be defined by you. Um, We are prone to wander. We are prone to being fickle. Lord, as I'm now um, just over 15 years into marriage, hearing the story of Shirley and Steve and their love for each other, her love toward him, that was empowered by your love for her, your proven love for her, your very real, very earthed, very practical love for her. Lord, I, I know, I, I believe, I'm even a bit scared by the reality that outside of your spirit, outside of abiding in you, I would not love like that. So Lord, I pray for all of us that we would be faced with, we would be shaped by your love for us, by the fact that you are love and Jesus is God. And then the life of love that we're called to live only comes from who he is and what he has done. It's in his name, the name of Jesus we pray, amen.